0: As I was sitting down to record the intro for this episode, I started to think about (laughs) how I always share, share the same things in my intros. I always talk about my chai that's next to me, where I'm recording the intro in my house, my dog who might chime in at some point in the intro. But all that aside, what occurred to me is that podcasting is one of those things that really lights me up in my business. I really look forward to every interview that I get to do because it allows me to peer into the world of some of these incredible entrepreneurs and business women and connect with their stories and their lives for just an hour or so. But what it made me really think about is our businesses as a whole. And if you're the person that is responsible for running your business, if it comes down to you, then one thing I want you to think about is when you put your feet on the floor in the morning and you think about your day and you think about what you have to do, I want you to make sure that at least one of the things that you're doing during your day because we all know that we have to wear so many hats as business owners so it's not all fun and games but you need to make sure that at least one or two hours of your day if not more is spent doing something that you really love that really gets you excited and it may or may not contribute in some way to your business in the short term but something like podcast adds so much value on so many levels and I can't even begin. I probably need to do my own episode on the podcasting journey, but there's so many advantages to starting a podcast. And one of the things is that it keeps me excited to learn, passionate, interested and inspired in the world of creative entrepreneurs so without further ado my guest for this episode is nikki nash and this yeah like i say always was a really fun episode to record but i just felt myself so engaged in this conversation i think what nikki has really mastered is the art of storytelling and she shares her story which is pretty incredible and As you're listening to it, I want you to think about your own journey and your own story and to really take the time to celebrate where you've come from and the fact that the road is not always paved in gold, as they say, that there's lots of ups and downs. And so that is one thing that I loved about this episode but amongst that we also dive into this concept that she calls marketing your genius and I found this to be really interesting because I love all of that zone of genius stuff so to have someone that really specializes that in that and helps women entrepreneurs to utilize their genius and build personal brand through different avenues of marketing and speaking and really capitalized on that in their marketing plan was super, super cool. And so I think you're going to get a lot out of this if you are interested in marketing, if you're interested in some different ways to think about your marketing, then really listen to what Nikki has to say, especially if you're a service provider. She works with a lot of women that have services creatives uh holistic practitioners people in the wellness industry and so she really knows her market she really knows her stuff okay let's get on with the episode this is episode 117 of the true to you podcast with the beautiful nikki nash Welcome to the True To You podcast, your go-to show for practical wisdom to build a meaningful, creative small business. You'll find content on marketing, mindset, and tons of experts who want to help you grow a thriving small business that you love. My guests are exceptionally creative women building businesses from their zone of genius, all while balancing many other roles in their life. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh, let's do this. Welcome to the True to You podcast, Nikki. It's great to be with you today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So I was really fascinated to do a little research behind the scenes around your story because, as I was just saying before we started officially recording, there are so many guests that I have on this show, and and not certainly like the last couple of years. I think they talk about it like the Great Resignation. In terms of people exiting corporate and doing their own things, that um, there's a lot of amazing, talented women who decide that the corporate sphere and despite the fact that they've got this amazing resume and all of these great things, is just no longer serving them. So I know that you had a pretty incredible career and you worked with both startups and some pretty huge brands that even we know well in Australia down, down under. So why don't you share with us a little bit about your backstory and what was the catalyst for you
1: taking a leap and going out on your own, which is uh, six years ago. Yeah. You know, I have to start this by expressing to anyone that looks at my career on paper and is like, wow, this is amazing. And just say that I had no idea what I wanted to do at any stage of this. I just moved through life with what I thought I wanted to do next And then got there and it was either in alignment with what I wanted or not at all in in alignment with what I wanted. And then I'd move on to the next thing. Um, And I say that because uh, I started my career after college in publishing and I worked at, you know, in Style Magazine and Travel and Leisure Magazine and I loved magazines. I've always Mm -hmm. from a young age would go to bookstores and you could find me either in the magazine section or the self-help section. Like that's where I spent my time. And, um, I at some point realized that while I loved magazines and I loved being a part of that industry, I didn't want to work at a magazine in marketing. Right. And, uh, there were a couple of reasons for why, um, the job at Travel and Leisure wasn't right for me. I loved my job at InStyle, but I was there on intentionally a temporary position and something opened up at a sister publication and I moved over and long story short, ended up in advertising. And I still was managing uh, like magazines, but on a different side of it. So Kraft Foods was my client at the time at the agency I worked on, they owned a lot of brands, including like Oscar Mayer. And if anybody's ever heard of Lou Biscuit and like they've owned they owned a lot of businesses, Kool-Aid, like they owned everyone at the time. They've, they've since split off Nabisco, they owned everything. And so I was able to choose which magazines they would run ads in and based off of who they were trying to reach and negotiate where in the magazines they were and things like that, which was a lot of fun. And after a couple of years, I realized that I wanted to be more in charge of making the decisions, right? So I'm like, why do we get a certain edge budget? Why do things get cut? Why do we get incremental? Why is this the target audience? And I wanted to be more closely aligned to those decisions. And so all of my clients said, well, you can come to like our side of the business, which is called client side. But they said, In all honesty, for you to get there where you are in your career, you either have to go to school and get your MBA and then do an internship at one of uh, like one of these types of companies and then, you know, get a job afterwards, or you work your way up advertising. And then when you're high up, like, you know, VP or director or whatever, like, then you could move over. And I decided to go back to school and I earned my MBA and I interned at Coca-Cola. I don't drink soda. Um... (laughs) And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is the best fit for me. I mean, they sell products outside of soda, but I was on, my job was help sell more sodas essentially (laughs) from a marketing perspective. And so I ended up um, not loving that internship. It wasn't a great fit for, I think, either side of of the, the table there. And I took a job at Intel. And I got to do digital marketing, which is something I always wanted to do. And as you, when I tell you guys what I actually do, you'll kind of see like the connections, but I I ended up doing digital marketing, which I had never done before technically, but it was at a time where there weren't social media classes, there weren't digital marketing, you know, masters or things like that, that exist now. And it was, I was young. I was, I think 26, I had a blog. And they were like, you've got the job, <laughs> right? I, I I marketed myself, I applied, I did really well in the interviews and I got the job. And this was right around the time that Instagram was allowing brands to be on the platform, right? Like it was before Instagram had brand pages. It was when Twitter was really big. It was when, uh, you know, before Facebook owned Instagram, right? Like it was <laughs> back in the day. And um, I... I loved my job, but, uh, after a couple of years, I found out that ovarian cancer ran in my family and my aunt was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. That's how my maternal grandmother passed away. And my mom, who's a doctor uh, said, you know, we need to check this out. We, it's probably genetic or it's possibly genetic. So my aunt had to get genetically tested, found out she had a gene mutation that put her at high risk for ovarian cancer. My mom had to then get tested as her sister, right? My mom tested positive. So then my sister and I had to get tested. And the day that we were getting tested was the day Angelina Jolie wrote uh, an op-ed called My Medical Choice about her decision to have preventative surgery because she was at high risk for breast cancer and also ovarian cancer. And so there are very similar gene mutations that run in her family and mine. But when that article came out, I shared it with my friends because I didn't know how to explain to them what was going on. In fact, I didn't tell them yet. I I didn't tell them what what was going on. I didn't tell them I was getting genetically tested. And it was because I didn't know how to communicate it. And I was living in Portland, Oregon. All of my friends were back still in New York. And I'm just like, I don't know, this is probably a phone call, but I don't even know how to discuss it. And long story short, I realized the power of sharing your story with others. And uh, after I got back to Intel after a little while I decided that I didn't want to spend my entire life solely focused on helping someone else build their business and their dream, right? Like I didn't want that to be my job is just working in house somewhere and only building something for someone else. And so I left with the intention of starting my business. I'd saved money, I gave them I think like four or five months notice, uh saved a bunch of money and freaked out. So shout out to anybody who freaked out because they wanted to leave their job. And they're like, what am I doing? So I had already quit. I had already packed my bags. I had already shipped everything to New Jersey while I was in Mexico. And my family met me in Mexico and we were spending two glorious weeks there. And the first week was amazing. And the second week I was like, WTF, Nikki, what are you going to do? Like you, how are you going to make money? This is ridiculous. And I immediately started looking for new jobs while on vacation. Right looking for new jobs. And I, I convinced myself that if I got a job at a startup, I would learn how to start a business. And so I ended up taking a job on the East coast. So I was much closer to my family, which was my main reason for leaving Intel and wanting to move East In all honesty is that I was like, I can't, I don't want to be on the West coast anymore. Um, and I ended up being head of marketing at a tech startup. And what I learned is that nobody knows what the heck they're doing when they're starting a business, right? Like there are things that you learn and things that maybe, you know, and things that help you prepare, but you don't know what to do until you're faced with certain decisions and certain challenges. And so I'm like, the the only thing that's going to prepare me for entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. And so after a year and a half of being head of marketing at this tech startup, I was like, I'm not happy because again, I'm still building somebody else's dream, a dream that's not mine. And I left and I started my business and it's evolved um a few times since with the very same premise of helping uh entrepreneurs take their experiences and expertise and turn it into a profitable business um but it, i started being essentially an like a CMO but like a fractional CMO for other companies is how i really started and i was like that's not what i wanted to do and so then i transitioned to more one-on-one coaching and consulting and then ultimately uh digital products and, and a book and stuff like that. But that's kind of the, the long-winded evolution of me just kind of slowly but surely learning more and more about business, learning more and more about marketing, really building up my confidence to go out on my own, thinking I had that confidence, freaking out, and then getting it back again. <laughs> I, I'm i
0: smiling and nodding because I, I, I also think that anyone listening to this is probably smiling and nodding too and having... A little bit of a chuckle to themselves thinking we've all had that experience at some point and you know you hear of these uh women or men that leave corporate and you know they've got a whole year's salary saved and then they've even got clients booked whilst they're in their corporate job because they might have been juggling both things and it all seems like this really ideal scenario and whenever i hear those stories i'm like Uh -uh. (laughs) there's there's very few people that have it that put together. And even so, I think also, like you said, your business became an evolution in that you started out doing what you knew how to do. It was like taking what you did in, in corporate, I guess, and then going out and consulting on your own until you really found your sweet spot. And the people that you're working with now uh, I I gather from our, our conversation before we started recording, are quite different from who you were working with in, in a corporate sphere. How did you, was it just a matter of who you were attracting or were was this base working with more creatives and coaches, was that because that's something that you always wanted to channel but was kind of absent from your career. And, and so this is what was your chance to really commit to being able to support those people.
1: I'd love to say that it was a brilliant idea from the beginning, but it really wasn't. I started my business when I was doing that fractional CMO type work. I was primarily working with other startups because I was mm-hmm. living in Boston. And when I knew I wanted to work in startups and when I got the startup job, I immediately immersed myself in the startup community. And so I met a lot of people who had startups, worked at smaller startups, things along those lines. And so once they heard I was leaving my job, I got referred by all these people to different startups to help them build and grow and get their marketing on point as they're slowly hiring and things along those lines. And what I realized from that experience is that I essentially was working part-time at a bunch of different companies, that's Mm. what it felt like to me. It's not literally how our agreements were structured, but that's how it felt. And that did not bring me joy. I was like, I don't like this at all. And I had joined a networking group and I met this person and she, um, had a completely different business. She was a stylist, but she was traveling to like Paris and Italy and traveling to all these places. And doing these big photo shoots. And I asked her, you know, how did she get her business to a point where she's doing all of that? She's like, oh, well I have a private coach and then I'm also in this international coaching, like group coaching program. And that's usually what's dictating these trips. And then I build, you know, business activities around it so that when I go out there, I'm not just going for this event and I'm sitting there going, huh, coaching. That's a thing. And I had a, uh, I was in a group program, a group coaching program when I was at Intel and Intel paid for it. It was like an internal, like they brought a coach internally and it was an executive leadership program. And it was to help rise, um, I think minority leaders at the time to, to get them moving up the ladder. And I didn't even, when I heard about this, didn't even remember that coaching was a thing. <laughs> yeah. like coaching. And I had also done, I think my first transformational seminar around that time too. And it just so happened that I kept meeting coaches and consultants and people into healing and transformation and creatives. And they would constantly ask me the same questions. And it was like, how do I get myself out there? How do I get more clients? Where am I supposed to be posting? I'm overwhelmed with social media. It was like a list of things. And I realized that a lot of them were having the same problems and that I had a very specific marketing philosophy that I didn't even realize was so specific until I kept answering people's questions and kept teaching things. And that's what led me to who I helped. And I'm a true believer in really narrowing in who you're helping first. And I say this to people all the time. And and I think sometimes people hear niche and they're like, oh, you want me to niche down? I'm like, that's not what I said at all. I said, I mean, maybe, but that's not actually what I'm saying. What I'm saying is choose one specific person that you're going to market to first, get momentum with that community of people, and then they'll help move you on to the next, or you can grow and expand from there. So I was like, cool. I know a lot of coaches now. I didn't even know coaching was a thing, but I kind of did. They keep asking me questions. I'm going to help coaches. And that's really how it started. And then it grew. Somebody's like, well, I'm not a coach, but I'm a stylist or I'm a consultant, or I'm a healer. And it's, I sat down and their business models were the same and the marketing principles principles were the same. So I'm like, sure, I can help you. And I grew from there to help more service-based business owners. Wow. Cool. Okay. I love that. I love that. And I a hundred percent
0: agree as well. I think I, I probably hearing what you're saying there in terms of when I was doing one-on-one coaching before I partnered with my husband and our business, I kind of deflected my niche because I thought I wanted to work with these people. And then, you know, after a while you keep attracting all of these clients and you're like, Ah, they're from the same group of people, you know, there's, there's some very similar things about them, whether it's actually their specific, I guess, industry or job title or whatever. And, and so it's kind of funny, because I think you often come back around as well. And you realize that the whole time you've been pushing away this niche, which is usually just a reflection of your story anyway, or where you've been. And and interestingly, you had started, you know, your your roots in corporate was in, I guess, quote, a creative industry, even though uh, it might have not a bit, you might have not had a specific creative title at times, but you had also been surrounded by a lot of those people, entrepreneurs, you know, they're um, innovative, they're creative thinkers, like they have big ideas and they're visionaries. And yeah, it's it's really, it's great if you have a specific skill set, like what you do to be able to then, I guess, partner or to take people that have those sorts of visions and say, okay, here's how we like work those big ideas and those great things that you're good at and actually put that into a plan and give you some strategy. Um, do you find that your clients are often like that? Like they, they're they creative and they have ideas and they're passionate. You know, there's a lot of passion. There's this highly skilled but there's not a structure or framework for how to channel that into something that's marketable or
1: something that's scalable. Or... I, I think for most people, my clients, but then also just a lot of people who are particularly starting service-based businesses. And again, it won't be everyone, but the majority are really, really good or passionate about the core of what they do, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, healing or like graphic design or photography or videography or business coaching or mindset coaching or hypo, uh, like, um, hypotherapy. That's not, that's not what I meant, but you know what I mean? like I'm like hypothermia, where was I going with that? (laughs) Um, But they're very good at what they do. Right. But I think the challenge for a lot of people is communicating what they do in the simplest form and i think too often people overcomplicate it and so even when folks think they're being super clear on how they're helping people they're not because they end up putting too much into the description yeah. right and so I think that's, that's typically where I see, see people, they, they um, are really passionate and great at what they do, but they have a hard time communicating it to someone, or they have so many ideas that like, they have a million things going on and then it's overwhelming. And so sometimes I'll say to someone, I have no idea what you do. And they're thinking, but I'm being very clear. And it's, it's not that you're not being clear or clearer, or more clear than you probably have been in the past. It's that you have so much that you're trying to tell people you can help them with, and those things in your mind may seem like the same, but to a your ideal client can feel disjointed or feel like a lot. That's where there can be a, a lack of con- clarity or confusion. So that's probably where I see a lot of people struggle, um, yeah. even though they're very passionate and, and good at what they do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and that's a real art like still I'm learning that art of being able to <clears throat> excuse me being able to take a million ideas and and be able to or or someone talking about what they do and be able to really just distill that down into what's the essence of this <laughs> you know what is the the real the real problem that you're solving you know what makes your approach to solving this problem unique like what is it really and it it can be quite hard when someone's never done that to to take all of those words because they feel I I think do you think it's also I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a tangent there but do you think also the way we're conditioned as well I think um particularly in Western society, I think Eastern society, there's more, there's a less is more philosophy that, that runs through it. But we feel like if we talk a lot, or if we say a lot, or if we, um, I guess, pad things out, we somehow appear more important, or we somehow appear like we uh, are more skilled, or all of those things. So we're kind of conditioned to write lengthy novels about ourselves and, and all of these things. And so then when we get to, to the point of actually distilling it down, it's actually quite hard because we've never, we've not been trained that way as well.
1: You know, I think it can come from a couple of different places and I don't think it's necessarily the same for, for everyone. I think for a lot of people, it's also being enough and Mm. that feeling of not being enough has them overcompensate. Right. So it's like I, I don't I want people to feel like I am enough. And so I'm gonna tell them all the things I can help them with and all the things I can do. And I'm gonna give you all of these programs and so much. And it ends up being overwhelming. And so I think it's a, a combination of maybe how people were taught to communicate in like the the more the lengthier period, but I think it can also come from within of not feeling enough and whether they're aware of it or not, end up overcompensating. And from a marketing perspective, I believe, I truly believe less and more because it's about building relationships and me marketing something has actually nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me has nothing to do with my product. It has everything to do with the person I'm looking to market and sell to. And so when you can distill and understand what their biggest problem is, like the one thing that if you say it, or if you talk about it, they will stop what they're doing and they will listen when you can figure out what that is for the people you want to connect with. Cause it won't be for everybody on the planet, but it'll be for the people you want to connect with. That will make life easier. Right. Yes. And I think when I see web pages that have way too much copy or way it's like a freaking novel and people feel like I'm being very descriptive and very clear on what it is that I do. And I'm sitting here going, but I had to read the whole novel to get a somewhat of an understanding, nobody's going to do that. Like nobody wants to read a novel. You want to go, Hey, I. right. And so I I think that, that that's probably where, or one of the places that over-communicating comes from. And then uh, also on the flip side of a solution is focus on what is going on through the mind of your ideal person when they see everything you put out.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, there's there's a bit of coaching yourself in terms of feeling trusting yourself, feeling that what you have to offer, even if it's not complex and filled with a thousand different features and benefits, that it's actually enough partnered with knowing, like you say, the actual problem that you're solving. And sometimes one can overwhelm the other, but it becomes a bit of both. And that's where I think both giving people strategy as you do, but also coaching them can really help them because sometimes you can give someone, you can say, Hey, this is what I think your service is about. This is what I think you're, you're getting at your message but if they've got all of this stuff going on in their head, they're not going to feel confident sharing it. Or they take what you say and then they <laughs> pad it out with all of this other stuff, like you said, with the novel sales page and things like that. So, yeah, I think that's where pow- uh, having someone that's a powerful support in your business that not only gives you that strategy, but can also just say, hey, you know, like, let's talk about what's driving you to do this? Or like, are you really confident and clear? And, and both have to play off each other though, as well, because we, you know, we can't overthink it at the same time.
1: Absolutely. And I think in all honesty, a lot of times people aren't innately comfortable with restricting the information that they provide people, Right like I help people with so much more than what I innately communicate. Mm. But my main message for like our brand, um, is get more dream clients. That's it. It's like, we help you get more dream clients. We have the get more dream clients, this, and the dream clients that, right. But it's just get more dream clients. Now, as a part of that, we talk about mindset. We talk about getting clear on your vision. We talk about how to generate leads. We talk about having the right product in the first place. Like there's this laundry list of things I help people with building a brand, getting visibility, whole bunch of stuff. I don't talk about 99% of the stuff that uh, my team and I help people with because I just want people to raise their hand and say, yes, I want more clients or no, I don't want more dream clients. Right. And I think that Getting comfortable with saying the same one thing over and over and over and over again at nauseum—it's like it's a—it's a skill or a gift that will help you build your business further faster. Yes, even if it, even if it feels as though, Oh, but I do so much more. And I started from the camp of, Oh, but I do so much more. Oh, but I can help you with so much more. Let me tell you all the things I can do. And I'm like, no, even when you're dating someone, you're not like, tell me your whole backstory and every little thing on the first date. It's like, or not even the first date when we first meet, right? It's usually, Ooh, I think you're cute. Or, Oh, I liked talking to you. It's like the first impression just get them in, get them interested. And you build that relationship over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agree, 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 agree. And it, it, that, that practice, as you say, of being able to repeat that one thing and being it, 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 what it does as well is that it, if, If your business is in the early days of business, often you're getting a lot of referrals. And if, say you're at a networking event or say you meet someone, what's really cool is when you meet someone, you hear the problem that they have and you know, okay, I can specifically help you with that. Or someone is talking to their friend and they say, oh, I need help with my money. Like, I don't know how to manage my money, you know, I hate going to the bank. Is there someone else that I can talk to? And they go, okay, you should go and talk to Nikki. She is great with that. And it's just like instantly, especially in the early days, if you're looking at a lot of referral marketing and relationship marketing, it's so much easier. (laughs) So much easier.
1: A hundred percent. When I was in the networking organization I first belonged to, it was literally how to get more referrals for your business. And every week I struggled to communicate what I did every single week, every single week, but struggling through that helped me get clearer because people would ask questions. Oh, do you do like social media marketing for people? No. Do you, well, then what do you do? Right? Like, do you do this? No. Then what do you do? Right. And so I grew up with parents who my mom was, uh, before she retired, was an OBGYN. And my dad was an internist. He did internal medicine. That was easy. Oh, you're in a, you, I deliver babies, right? Like I am a woman's doctor. Very easy to communicate and understand. And what I encourage people to do is even if you're not in a field that's that easy to communicate, it's drilling it down to something super simple, right? Because my whole life, I've been in marketing my whole life. My mom's like, I don't really understand what you do until, but I just am able to say things like, Mom, I buy, magazine ads for big brands, right? Like it's just, how do you break it down and communicate what you do so that your mom understands or so that a five-year-old understands. And it's hard because some people may emotionally feel as though they're devaluing what they do. You're like, but I do so much more than that. Yeah. That, that is not the intention of what you're doing with a clear marketing message. It's not about explaining to everyone the nuance and the complexity of what you do initially. It's about explaining clearly what you do so that they get it and then they can ask more questions or then they can talk more about you or they can say the words to someone else, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: nothing worse than being at a networking event, which you said, and I have so been there in the past, and you people ask you oh what do you do and you share it and then they kind of look at you (laughs) confused like okay i'm trying to like cryptic you know they're trying to decipher what you what you just said and then you're like oh okay yeah and and sometimes like you said i think something really key that you picked up there is that you can just say a little bit about what you do like if you've got your one line or something simple and then ask more questions of the other person, rather than feeling like you have to blurt out this whole spiel. You can just say, oh, this I help, you know, coaches and creatives get more dream clients. And then they go, oh, cool, you know, or they might ask you more questions. And so it becomes more of a dialogue and you actually get to go deeper that way as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, the question is, what do you do? Not how do you do it? And like this long thing, right? Like My mom doesn't go up to people and say, oh, well, I meet with women who are pregnant and uh, I'm I look at their feminine parts or right. Like she doesn't go into this (laughs) long description, you know, I, (laughs) when their contractions are X millimeter or whatever, minutes apart or whatever it is, right. Like she doesn't go into that level of detail. She's just like, I help people deliver babies. And if you've never had a baby, you just generally get what it is. And if you've had a baby, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that was like, because I've been on the other side of it. And that's okay. Either way, both people walk away knowing what you did or what Mm -hmm. you do at a certain level. And so I think, and I, I was 100% guilty of this. I either went too much information or way too broad where it wasn't specific enough for anybody to understand. And it's about getting very specific, very simple and using language that is super simple, right? Like if you're, if you're in a field that is complicated, right? Um, make it simple, right? (laughs) You don't have to say, you know, I'm a transformational coach for like, not everybody knows what transformational means as a word. Right. But you're like, I help people. uh, I'm trying to think of like mindset coaching too. It's not, and it's, that's even very broad, but it, it could be, I help people who want more dream clients, right. Work through the the thoughts that are stopping them from getting more dream clients, Mm. right? Like that's even different than I help people get more clients by building a strategic marketing plan, right? Like those two things are very different, even though we may be solving the same problem, right? Like one person's probably a mindset coach or transformational coach or something along those lines. And the other one's a marketing person, right? So it's like, you can get specific and maybe even share a little bit of the how just to clarify without being, you know, overbearing with your words. Mm,
0: mm. Oh, I love that. You're totally, totally speaking my language and all the things that excite me. So I'm I'm very much on board with what you're saying. Let's talk a little bit about your book because you published a book. Oh, you didn't publish it, but uh, Hay House published your book. I mean, technically I
1: published it <laughs> yeah. with them, right? Like, yeah. They may have done all the like... <laughs> the hard work of getting it in bookstores and online and stuff, but you know, I wrote the (laughs) dang thing. (laughs) You wrote, you
0: wrote a book and it came out in August last year. So this book is called Market Your Genius, which when I heard that title, I, I, I love the whole genius zone of genius, all of that kind of stuff. When I, when I first read Gay Hendrick's book, which you probably are very, very familiar with, a light bulb just turned on. And I was like, this is all really making sense. Why did I not have this book 10 years ago? <laughs> so when we talk about marketing your genius, what what do, you, what do you describe as someone's genius when we're talking about marketing it in a business perspective?
1: Yeah. So I think your genius is, and, and for anybody who's read the book, I have at the beginning Um, a little, I guess, a poem would be the best way to describe it about what your genius is. Um, I was an English major, by the way, so I I grew up writing um, as a kid, even poetry and stuff. But um, the long and the short of it, as the expression goes, um, the short answer is, I believe someone's genius is a combination of things that make them special and from a business perspective that differentiates you from the competition and, and that you can leverage to see success, right? So your genius could be, they could it could be something very tangible and it could be something very intangible. So for example, I consider part of my genius, the fact that for whatever reason, people just feel comfortable unloading their life story to me. And this has been my whole life. And it's like, I would be sitting, reading a book by myself on a like on a train and somebody will literally sit next to me and tell me everything that's going on in their life, what they're dealing with, get my advice on things. And I'm literally sitting there like, did I have a sign? That said something because I'm literally doing all of the things that would indicate that I don't want to speak to someone, right? Like I had headphones in, I'm reading a book, but just my and then everybody's like, You have great energy, right? It's just something about energetically a vibe that I put out that says, please come talk to me and, and tell me your life. But I but I leverage that to my advantage in my business. And I'm like, wow, okay. So people kept saying when they came and talked to me, it was because of my energy, right? So I'm like, okay. I heard that enough times to go, I don't really know what that means, but I do know that my energy is something that attracts people. So I'm going to leverage video or podcasting or something where people can, or speaking in person and on stages, because that energetic vibe that I apparently get off, give off is attractive to, to my audience, right? Like the people who are listening and they're like, I don't like you at all my energy is apparently not in alignment with yours. And that's totally cool. But for the people that, you know, vibe with me, that energetic essence, I guess, like that energy that I give off is a big factor of why people pick up the book or why they go to the website or why they keep talking to me or things along those lines. Right. And so it, it could be something like that, or it could be, I spent time studying quantum physics And quantum physics is a key differentiator in my business. Like it could be a literal, like I am an expert or a genius at something, but it could also just be like your vibe, your personality. It could be, um, really just something that is a part of who you are, that, that is worth marketing or worth putting out into the universe to attract your dream clients and customers.
0: Yeah, and, and some interesting things that you said in that speaking, podcasting, using your genius to align with how you market too, so that it, I'm going to use this word, but it's, I'm not sure that it's the the right use of the word, but to, I guess, market authentically. and And in the early days, certainly, if you're harnessing your skills, I imagine it's it makes it easier too. you can feel more confident rather than, so imagine when you, you work with people, it's a lot of personal branding type work where you say, okay, let's find out what your genius is and overlay that on, on your marketing. So what, so does that mean that when you help people with marketing, it looks a little bit different for each person?
1: Um. Yes and no. And the reason why I say yes and no is because at the most granular level, yes, like everybody has their, a different marketing plan, a different approach, a different personality, a different vibe. It won't look the same for everyone, but at the highest level, the stages that people Mm -hmm. go through, take someone from I'm a stranger to I'm a, a big advocate of your brand, or I'm a repeat customer or something along those lines, that process that people go through that customer journey is the same at the highest level. And so a lot of what I teach is helping people um, start from everything, from what does success look like for me and my business? And what am I actually offering? And what is, what, what is the problem that I can uniquely solve with my magic gifts, right? Like with my genius. And then once you have that clear going, okay, how do I create a marketing plan to get people there? Because essentially all businesses is going, I know this person that has this dream or this problem, and I have a solution or a way for them to achieve that dream. And I'm going to connect the two for a win-win. When for me is, you know, profitability, when for them is a solution. And so the pathway, (laughs) like how that looks specifically can be different for each person, but at the highest level, they're essentially achieving those things
0: yeah that totally makes sense uh, yeah because the the basic principles of marketing you want to ensure that you're covering all of those yeah and you're not kind of just doing something because it feels good and <laughs> yeah awesome so in terms of personal the personal brand part of it you said to me earlier that you work a lot with solopreneurs or people where they're the face of their brand. They might have a small team that they work with as well, but essentially they are they're at, you know, their marketing, their service, and they're the face of it. So where does or why does personal branding become such an integral part? Because I think also this can be quite terrifying for people too to think that, Mm -hmm. oh, suddenly I have to put myself out there and I have to be the face of this. And and they just want to kind of go in the corner and do their work and have their clients come to them. So talk to me a little bit about personal branding and why you think that building a personal brand is, is a really strategic move for someone
1: like that. Yeah. So the first thing I will say is whether you are literally being the face of your business, like the business is your name or something along those lines, or you're just you're building a business um, and it has maybe a, a, a vision of it living without you, it not being your name and, and all those those things that that are aligned with that. Your personal brand is one of the fastest ways to build a business, at least breakthrough from a branding perspective, because you're there's a face people who will re- relate to that face or that, you know, personality, it's easy to go, oh, they're like my friend. Oh, I get them. Oh, I'm with them and go from there. Right. Because business can be very personal. And so building a personal brand can be very, uh, a, a quick moving thing. Right. And I think of some even like big personal brand businesses, you know, Michael Hyatt, before he stepped down as CEO from his company, and it's now called Full Focus, but before it was called Full Focus, and that's very recent. Um, it was called Michael Hyatt & Co., right? Or Michael Hyatt & Company, one of those two, I can't really remember. But like he built the business off of his personal brand. And it's like, oh, this is what Michael Hyatt told me, or he taught me this, or I know this. And it's a way to move really quickly because people are like, oh, it's like my friend or my mentor or my coach. Even though he had a team that grew to like 20, 30 right people, like it grew... Tremendously, but everything was associated with him his books, his podcasts, his name, his message, right? And then there gets to be a point, though. And this is why I encourage everybody to think strategically about how they want to do it. Where if you want the business to run without you, you can keep it under the same name if you want to, right? Like there's Stephen Covey has like uh, a business, right? That like, and he's not here leading the ship anymore, right? but uh, but you can build a personal brand business that lives on without you. But at a certain point, it may make sense for the brand not to be your name, literally, but still being a face of the company and being the thought leader and being the public figure or the, the CEO can still move your business further, faster. So I have a lot of friends who, while they're not building a business under their name, are very actively out there speaking because they're the best person to talk about their company and because building that relationship and that personal brand will help their business grow faster.
0: Yeah. If for someone that that's terrified at that idea, (laughs) uh, what, how do you coach your clients to move through that discomfort and lean into it?
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that I hear when people are like, oh my gosh, this is so uncomfortable is that they say, usually I don't want this business to be about me. And I'm like, you having that thought and not wanting to be out there is you making this about you. It's like literally the thing that you don't want to happen, you're doing, because if you're thinking, I don't want this to be about me, therefore, I'm not going to show up and be of service to other people because I don't want it to be about me is you making it about you. And so I'm very public, but I never think that I'm, it's not the Nikki Nash show when I'm doing YouTube videos or when I'm on podcasts or when I'm speaking on stages, it's the wow, there are people that need this message and I'm just the vehicle of which they're hearing it. And it's coming from a completely different mindset, right? So I don't mind. There are times where I show up looking a hot mess on lives But I'm like, I am really called to share this message right now. And I don't care that I don't have any makeup on and that there's a giant zit on my face and that I like look terrible. I need to tell people this message right now. And what's crazy is those are often the ones that go really far and viral. And I'm like, and then in hindsight, when I, you know, check back in and I look at it, I'm like, dear God, why didn't I have makeup on? Like, right, like way too many people saw this, but I put it out there because I was being of service to other people, not because I was focused on what I looked like or how I sound or things like that, right? You know, growing up, I hated the sound of my voice. Growing up, there were tons of things that I I may be self-conscious about, but I don't let that stop me from being visible or being public because it's not about me. It's about the person who wants to start their business and build a better life for themselves that is struggling or freaking out. And it's about me coming out publicly and helping them.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's so, so important to share. And it's a hard one. I, I I get it. And I get why people find it uncomfortable. Because if they're it, if their business is down to them, then it can also feel like all those feelings of failure and that I imagine come up and judgment. And if this doesn't work, then I don't, I can't pull in like the other director of the company to kind of save the, the day. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, a hundred percent. And if I can help people at all from this per- perspective, people are going to judge you, and you're going to fail. Mm. Like <laughs> mm. I say that with love. I feel all the time. I feel tremendously. I have fallen so far down and getting got myself in like a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. Right, like with this business, I have done like ridiculous things. It's all I shared in the book, right? But I've also seen amazing successes, but those amazing successes came from me taking myself almost out of the equation, right? Like I I learned that I can't run my business based on my feelings. I can't run this business based off of what I think other people are going to think about me. I can't run this business essentially like a hobby and expect it to produce like a business, mm-hmm. right? For me. And it is incredibly hard and it requires a lot of personal development work, like I, the bit the biggest personal development experience that I've had as an entrepreneur was writing this book, right? Like talk about <laughs> putting yourself out there in a way that you don't know who the heck is going to pick it up, you don't know where they're going to get it. I was self conscious about every aspect of it, from asking people for to pre read the book and write um, endorsements, and it like it was a mind. F right. <laughs> My mind was effed up the whole time, but it was great from a personal development experience because every negative thought I had, I had to work through and it took time, right? It took time. And so to anybody that's freaking out, like, what if I fail? I don't want this to be about me. There's so much pressure. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. I 100% get it. I have been there. And also always go back to what your vision is for the company, who you're out to help, what the mission is, what you're trying to do and understand that somebody else is probably going to do it. If you're thinking about that anyway, yeah, it's probably already out there. So what? There's, there's nobody doing it like you. There's nobody doing it as you. Oh, I'm going to fail. Yep. Can promise you, you're going to have failures. You may have moments where you don't know how you're paying your rent. You may have, uh, I was telling someone the other day, I'm like, I got on a plane somewhere and didn't know how I was getting home. Right? <laughs> like, I was like, cause there wasn't enough money in the bank account to get home, but I had to go on this thing, like to this conference or something. And it's like stuff happens, but you figure it out and it's, it's rewarding. And so, uh, yes, failure. Yes. Judgment. Yes. Fear. And yes, it'll more likely than not be more rewarding than it is painful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's
0: honest truth, honest truth. I think it's, we're not trying to make this out as girl, if you're not cut out for this, then like, you know, (laughs) but basically business is hard and it is going to show up, show you a lot of sides of yourself that you didn't expect and, you know, I think we've both seen both sides of it as well. And we've seen also you can experience those things in corporate too. So it's not saying that that corporate's any easier, but I think that there is painted a little bit of a, a glamorous picture. I think that's changing though around starting a business, starting a small business particularly and it being something you just fall into and it
1: works and it's easy and yeah it's it's not actually no, <laughs> it's quite hard it's i mean when i started all the messaging was a, was live a laptop lifestyle work from anywhere be on the beach essentially like sipping margaritas getting clients oh that yeah that was not my experience that's not the experience of most people and i will say coldheartedly though starting a business isn't right for everyone and starting it full-time also isn't right for everyone, right? So there are, there mm. is a world that exists where some people may be listening to this and you can absolutely build a business that brings you the level of joy and whatever that vision is for you and have a full-time job if that is your vision of happiness and success, right? And if building a business full-time is your vision of happiness and success, understand that most people, it takes them years to get to a place of where they, their vision, like their dream is actually a reality. Like if you're willing to do it and put in the work and know that it could take five to 10 years, potentially, some people do it a lot faster. Some people do it a lot slower, but like, if you're really committed to the dream, go for it. If you're like, this is a nice to have on my wish list, but if, if I have to go at it for five years and not see the rewards that I want, then it's not worth it for you. Own your truth, baby, like that's fine. <laughs> right maybe it looks a little bit different for you but I I just like to share that with folks because there's there was at least when I was starting way too much messaging about becoming a millionaire overnight or having a million dollar business and a lot of these people that I met had a lot of debt, maybe didn't have like the revenue that they wanted like the profit that they wanted from the money they were bringing in were burnt out or hated their business. there were some people that loved it but there are also a lot of people who didn't. And so it's just getting real with yourself about and being open to change. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you want to keep going on that. So keep going (laughs) if you want. Go. (laughs) No, it's just like, be okay with changing your mind. I think, you know, so often I speak to people and they're like, oh, I've, I've built this business and I've put so much into it. And then they keep moving down a path that brings them no joy for no reason. I was like, quit doing stuff that doesn't bring you joy. If you end up hating your business, it's okay to throw it away. It's okay to change it. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to change your mind about not wanting to start a business, right? Like everything's okay. And so I just wanna give people permission to make a decision and know that they can change it, right? Like I live my life going, nothing's permanent. And by coming at life with that philosophy, it makes me feel more confident in the decisions that I make because I'm like, who cares if I get this wrong? It's not permanent. I can switch it up, right? Like I can change. It's okay.
0: So yeah. that's
1: that's what I've got for folks today. Thank you. Thank you for that.
0: I, last but not least, I've got a very curious question for you. What's one of the riskiest investments in like a personal development thing that you've done that actually paid off? Because I feel like all of us at some point will will take the plunge and do something and then we're like okay this was the best thing I ever did for my business.
1: Um the riskiest Best thing. What felt risky at the time? For my business. Okay. This is actually not an investment, like a monetary investment, but the riskiest thing that I ever did in my business that ultimately paid off was throw away a lot of what I did. Like it was, (laughs) I, I, in building my business, I had, you know, one on one coaching, I had VIP days, I had built group coaching, I had built a lot of things. And I, at one point, literally said, I'm only, I'm throwing everything away. I'm putting everything on pause. I'm going to work with a few one-on-one clients that I've had forever that I love. And I'm going to focus on writing this book and I'm going to focus on my podcast. And I'm just going to focus on like one thing. And I think in business, you can have so many ideas and so many things you want to do. And I think that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is that there are a lot of things that you may want to do, but one of the things I realized is that you don't have to do them all at once at the beginning, right? Like if I plan on having this business for 10, 20, 30 years, then why am I trying to put 30 years of work into like one year? And so I threw away a lot of what I did and a lot of what I offered. And I said, I'm offering one thing right now and I'm working on my book. And people can take it or leave it if they don't want it. I just like, I said, the money I will figure out, it'll come. But I was like, I don't care um, about offering all these different things to people. I'm going to, I'm going to only offer one thing. And this was early while I was writing the book, like the book took two years to come out. So it was like, (laughs) it was early in the journey. Um, But, but that was probably the riskiest thing I did that definitely paid off um, in hindsight, but but it was a risk, you know, like I cut off a lot of major sources of income for myself uh, intentionally.
0: <laughs> and, 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 and when you did that, then was the return even better on the other side of it once, or was it more that what you were doing became way more fulfilling, easier to
1: share It was a little of both like monetarily. Hmm. It took a while. So like I killed off my income and then the timing, I killed off my biggest sources of income right before the pandemic, like right before COVID. So nobody knew COVID was coming. So in like January of 2020, I said, (laughs) blowing up my business, people, everything's gone. You could only do this one thing. (laughs) And then it was like, oh, cool, 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 cool. Oh shit. Did it, didn't see that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I was like, cool, <laughs> great, <laughs> right? And then I was like, okay, um, well, I did it, and I'm gonna stick with it. And I could have easily just said, "Just kidding, guys! Like all these programs are back. Like you can get back in." But I was just like, no. Like I am going to really just say, um, unless you want to pay me a large amount of money to work with me one on one. You can't, you won't hear from me for like two years because I'm gonna focus on unless you want to listen to my I'm like listen to my podcast, enjoy my free stuff, buy the book when it comes out. In fact, pre-order now if you like, right? like pre-order the thing that doesn't exist. And uh and yeah, if you want to work with me one on one, cool. And if not, um I'll come back at you soon. But I think why that was the best thing for me is that I I went from a standpoint of I'm still not, I'm like, I'm not Beyonce or like Charlize Theron or like um, Margot Robbie or like somebody that like a lot of people know, right? Like I'm not a mass celebrity. So there will always be an opportunity for me to get in front of more people. And so cutting off like some things where people are like, oh my gosh, you just like disappeared or stopped having like all of this, these offerings for your audience. I'm like, my audience Real talk like, even if it's uh, like 2000 people or 10,000 people is, there's not a lot of people, right? There's still millions of people who don't know who I am. And it's okay to essentially stop everything you're doing to narrowly focus on what you're doing on what you want to do. And because of that, as I was writing my book, I got more clear on the messages that I'd been sharing Um, Some of my frameworks already existed, but new ones came up as I was writing. And then I was able to create something that was even better, not only from a book, but as part of my business. And so then everything I created after that is in alignment with the book. It makes way more sense. It's easier to teach people. I have systems and frameworks for everything. And then my business just runs more smoothly. It's easier for me to enroll people into programs. My message is clearer and my life is easier. But it would not have happened if I literally didn't go, hey, guys, don't talk to me unless you are going to help me write this book. Right. <laughs> like, like let me alone. Um, but I needed that space. And at the time, my business wasn't at a stage where other people could teach what I taught. Right. Like I had team, but they weren't implementers of deliver like they weren't delivering mm things to clients. They were doing more like marketing or sales or things along those lines. And so I ended up building something that can easily be taught to someone else to do, right? Like I now have frameworks and systems that I can train people in like a certification program and then be like, great, you are now a little baby Nikki genius and you can go out and help people, right? And so in the long run, it'll make my business way more scalable, way more, you know, easy to manage and run and all this, but I needed that space and time and I would not have had it otherwise. Anyone that I've had on the podcast that's written a book says that
0: something similar that often they need to carve out that time and whether that looks like reducing client load or, like you said, putting some things on pause or just cutting them completely. It really deserves that for what for what it is, because also it's something that once it's published, that's that's it. You know, it's it's in, and it, you can chat, you can do variations. You're gonna probably write more books, I imagine. But yeah, once it's once it's out there. <laughs> so you kind of get one chance. I think that's so that's really brave and really bold as well at the same time for you to make that choice and have it pay off and now be building your business back up in a way that's probably going to be more sustainable too. Like
1: that's kind of what I get from what you're saying as well is that.
0: Yeah, Yeah,
1: absolutely. And the funny thing about it is it's not like I was writing all day. Like I completely freed up my load and then with COVID happening, I really wasn't traveling. So it really freed me up and I just had space to think and be because i wrote the book i wrote a chapter i say a, a, i wrote a chapter a week for 90 days but really i wrote a chapter every sunday for 13 sundays <laughs> like saturday night to sunday morning like that's when i wrote <laughs> one day a week for 13 or for 12 weeks really one day a week for 12 weeks i wrote um and then i had free space most of the other time to be with family, to be with friends, to help the clients I had and to just be and think and, and really um, do some personal development work that helped me create something that I was really proud of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for this very fun conversation. Lots of laughs. Um, I can totally see where you've leveraged this medium uh, and this is your genius as well as speaking and things like that so thank you so much nikki if people want to buy your book or listen to your podcast or perhaps if there's another way that they can actually work with you can you share with us what they are
1: yeah so the book again is called market your genius it's available um around the world on a lot of platforms because it's traditionally published. So it's like, I can't even list all of the places you can get it, but you can definitely get it on Amazon. You can definitely get it at certain local retail, like your local bookstore. If your local bookstore doesn't have it, they can absolutely order it from my publisher for you. So that works, but like I would say, go to your favorite online or in-person bookstore and see if they have it, market your genius. Um, The name of my podcast is also market your genius. So you can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. And I would say for, for working with me, like what we have, the best thing to do is to sign up for our get more dream clients masterclass. It's a free masterclass. And then at the end of it, I, I talk to you about like what we, what we offer from a, a curriculum perspective or uh, how you actually can learn from us how to get more dream clients. Um, But the free masterclass is just awesome. And so if you go to f- get more dream again, keep it simple, right? <laughs> get more dream clients. You go to get more dream Um, that's how you can sign up for our next masterclass. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nikki. This has
0: been an epic conversation. I'm going to be smiling about this one all day.
1: Likewise. <laughs> and thank you again for having me on the show.